0: Welcome from me, John Strickland, to Our Future Skies in partnership with AIG. In this podcast series, I'm talking with leaders across the airline industry, tapping into a diversity of views on where it might be headed in the next 10 to 20 years. While happily, the industry is making a very strong recovery from the COVID pandemic, by its very nature, it always faces many challenges. Sadly, that includes right now A number of geopolitical and military conflicts, not to mention significant global economic turbulence. Another reality is that the role of aviation and the level of activity varies significantly according to which part of the world we're looking at. And with that in mind, in this episode, we're going to discuss the future of the industry viewed through an African lens. Despite the continent's vast dimensions, challenging distances and surface infrastructure, a 1.4 billion population with the potential of an energized youthful profile, it lags the world in terms of commercial aviation. It can actually be quicker and easier to fly between two African countries by connecting in Europe or the Gulf than by traveling directly, if that is even possible. Now, one airline that has stood above the crowd and still does in Africa and has proved amply able to perform on the global stage is Ethiopian. My guest today, is a man who led that airline to success, former CEO to Waldie Gabri Mariam, who today resides in the USA and is Senior Strategic Advisor to Delta Airlines. So welcome to Woldy. I'm really delighted to have you as my guest on Our Future Skies today and to speak to you after quite some time.
1: Thank you for uh, having me in your podcast. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to chat with you.
0: Great. Well, I'm looking looking forward to it too, Let's start. Uh, I mentioned already about Ethiopian Airlines, which, of course, you left early last year. So just tell us a little bit about how it was that you were able to bring such a level of success to that airline in your time there, while other airlines in Africa have not been able to do so.
1: Yes, you are right, John. Um, When I... uh... Uh, reflect back now, it, 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 it uh, appeared to me like it was a miracle because, as you said, you know, uh, I have been there uh, leading the airline for 11 years. Uh, so the second uh, decade of the 21st century, a little more. And the aviation industry in Africa has gone through really challenging uh, time and crisis. Talking about between 2011, I started January 2011 to March 2022. So this was a period where uh, we introduced two state-of-the-art, modern 21st century aviation technology airplanes like the 787 Dreamliner uh, early 2012. And, you know, the Dreamliner has uh, had uh, a lot of uh, technical glitches here and there and then uh, we also introduced the uh, airbus the modern, most modern airplane a350 from the airbus family in uh, 2016 then we had ebola uh, in the continent uh, which was very um, uh, dramatic at that time and then um, oil price was you know this was the, this was a period at one time oil price has reached about 150 Dollars a barrel, and then the big challenge—the uh, uh, global uh, pandemic, uh, coronavirus, uh, which was devastating the uh, entire global aviation industry. So it was a period of—it uh, was a testing period. I mean, for the uh, mm-hmm. uh, some part, for the entire aviation industry, and uh, uh, some crises were, uh, some challenges were peculiar to the African aviation industry, but in the midst of all those uh, crises and uh, paradox was the 20 to 25% growth, profitable growth uh, that we recurred uh, in Ethiopian airlines. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you see, I took over when the airline had only 32 airplanes and, uh, when I left, we had 140 airplanes. Revenue was about a billion dollars uh, uh, by the end of the fiscal year 2010. And uh, I left with five billion dollars. But the most surprising one is out of five billion dollars revenue in 2022, when I left, one billion net profit. So it's about uh, 20%. Um, and during the corona, I mean, the pandemic period. So Many, many um, good things and uh, very good strategic planning and also uh, meticulous, I mean, ruthless execution, especially very, very focused on cost management, uh, frugality and so on. So I would say in terms of uh, the strategy, we focused on the line you draw between China, India, Africa and South America. So early on, we knew that Europe and America was uh, were important markets for Ethiopian, but they were matured markets. So if we had to grow the places that we should grow, and the potential for growth was in China, India, Africa itself, and also South America. So we've connected these places, and at one time, we were, uh, I don't know now the uh, the, the current situation, but... Uh, Between Africa and China, we were market leader. We had 60% of the traffic between China and Africa. And as you know, this is a period also where China and the Chinese government focused investment in Africa. So we took advantage of that. And as you know, John, we are also very senior airline in China. We've been flying since 1973. When Chairman Mao was uh, in in uh, in leadership, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know uh, when China was not uh, as open as it is today. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say it was it was an amazing uh, period. And just to mention uh, only the COVID, uh, you know, when uh, COVID uh, was has reached that stage where almost all airlines have grounded their uh, airplanes. We went for a couple of months uh, and uh, it was very controversial at that time to continue to fly to China when most airlines have suspended. But uh, I had decided to carry on, to continue. But by March 2020, uh, we found almost 95% of our passenger airplanes parked uh, in the tarmac. So you can say no, almost no passenger business. And then we had to make a very tough decision, because mo- you remember, John, most airlines had to depend on government bailout
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in Europe and America, almost all. But uh, that, that was not a possibility for us. That was not an option for us, unfortunately. So the only way was to, the only way to survive for us was to find a business uh, somehow uh, which can sustain us. And that was cargo. You know, as I said at the beginning, when I reflect back now, in 2011 and 2012, when we bought, when I decided to buy the 777 freighters, 10 777 freighters and 737 freighters, dedicated freighters, people were laughing. And most people, including people in the board, this was uh, too risky. Uh, Yeah, but... uh, at the same time, I also decided to build the terminal, John. I don't know if you have seen it. Uh, it is uh, the cargo terminal is one of the largest in the world. You can uh, compare it with Changi or Hong Kong or Skipul. Uh, uh-huh. So it's, it's huge. A million tons cargo capacity a year. So these investments at that time were crazy, were seen crazy and uh, too risky, not wise. But seven, eight uh, years forward, when the pandemic uh, came, and uh, they became uh, breadwinners and uh, the only survival kits. so we had to depend on cargo, and cargo was also booming at that time uh, because every airline has stopped, and the belly cargo capacity has gone out of the market, so there was capacity shortage, and on the other hand, demand was booming because. You know, mask, when we see mask today, it's a very small piece of uh, clothes. But at that time, it was a lifesaver. Uh, so we had to transport uh, masks, uh, PPP uh, in general, you know, gloves and medical supplies from China to Europe, to United States, to South America, to Africa. So it was a very good business. And uh, parallel to it, we had to also made a very quick decision to remove seats from passenger airplanes, wide-body passenger airplanes, the 787, the 777. So I remember 25, 25 wide-body airplanes. We removed the seats in about 48 hours. So we had put them into the cargo business. So we saved the airline and uh, not only we saved the airline, but uh, uh, made a profit. Yeah, we made uh, record profits. Not only profit, record profit in the history of the airline. So 2020 was record profit. 21 was its own uh, broke its own uh, record profit. Again, 22 was uh, record profit. So uh, it's a classic uh, success in the aviation industry, John.
0: It's an amazing story really an amazing story toward you so congratulations on that achievement which is still continuing uh, as we speak yeah. now given all those external challenges you faced and the success you delivered let's move on to look a little bit more widely at the market and the whole dynamics as we go into the are crystal ball gazing about the future for Africa. Uh, I mean, I mentioned in my, my opening comments about some of the dynamics of the continent, the population, there's a growing middle class, you know, there's wide usage of mobile phones, and including for banking, uh, there's educational opportunities, something I want to dwell on a bit as we go along, a, an amazing young and entrepreneurial population. This sets a great context, surely, for this continent to really come out of the shadows that it's been in relative to other parts of the world.
1: Yes, you are absolutely right. Uh, but unfortunately, and you and I know that the aviation industry in Africa has not grown as much as all the uh, conditions that you listed now. I mean, mm-hmm. a very large continent, uh, Um, young workforce of uh, close to 1.4 billion population and very rich in natural resources. A continent which contains more than 60% of global Arab land for agriculture. So this should set, you know, uh, a very robust and uh, fast growing economies. And as a result of that aviation, uh, the aviation industry should have Grown faster than we saw. But you know, all said and done, at the end of the day, uh, African aviation is only 2% of the uh, global aviation business. So going forward, you are right now, uh, many people say, and we have always been saying that um, Africa is the next frontier in terms of uh, aviation industry grows And uh, that has been the case for many years now but the prevailing conditions on the ground are not enabling and have not been enabling, and I don't see much of hope even going forward. Having said this, I would also recognize progress have has, uh, has been made. Not enough progress, but uh, some progress have been made, especially mm-hmm. in uh, a little bit opening up of the market, and some governments some i would say african governments have realized the value of aviation
0: let's let's explore that a bit because you know i think for people who are less familiar with africa we see a lot of national carriers mainly state run uh, and airlines undoubtedly need a good relationship with their governments but you know question number 1 where is the line drawn between governments relationships and political inter- interference, because I think we see a lot in Africa of certain political impressions of aviation, uh, viewing it as something for the elite, something of a privilege, and, and not really something that facilitates ordinary citizens or indeed acts as a catalyst for economic
1: development. Yeah, first, let's let uh, let's see the, uh, the attitude of African governments towards aviation. I have spoken to many governments, to many head of states, in the continent, many many of them, I uh, had the privilege of uh, discussing in private with uh, many heads of states. But when they put aviation in their priority list, it's almost in the in the bottom, because unfortunately they feel and they believe that aviation is luxury or it's for the rich uh, people. That being the attitude or the perception on behalf of the government. When you go uh, and see what's happening on the ground, it's completely different because uh, Africa is not like Europe uh, with very extensive rail and fast train network. No, Uh, roads are not as developed as Europe and America, no, again. So how else are people going to move from place to place? That's the only way is aviation. So it's not the rich man's uh, means of transport. It is a critical public transport for the average person for anyone because there is no alternative so that this has been our argument uh, when we discussed with the government some of them believe yes you are right but we have priority Uh, agriculture is priority education is priority healthcare is priority so uh, aviation comes in the bottom okay on the other hand then if that is the case why do they own airlines Why do they want to own airlines? And they do. (laughs) Another paradox. They own airlines for a couple of reasons. Every nation in Africa, big or small, wants to put the flag on the tail of an airplane. It is a matter of prestige. It's a matter of image. Uh, Sometimes it's also um, uh, a political tool uh, during campaign and election. So what drives... An airline to appear or to emerge or uh, a startup airline on behalf of the government is, these are the uh, reasons why. So, and none of them are economic. Of course, uh, the need of connectivity is also there. But beyond the need of connectivity, as I said, it's a matter of image, it's a matter of prestige. And uh, it's a matter of also like, you know, country so-and-so has uh, started an airline with uh, this airplane and that airplane. So that sets a condition where professionals are not going to run the airline. Political appointees are going to run the airline. And then you start all the problems, political interference. And unfortunately, you know, the airline business is a very tough airline uh, business, Mm -hmm. John, as you know. Margins are very rather thin, and uh, uh, if you make a small mistake, it is fatal uh, because already in good, even in good time, the mar- the margins are very very thin. You're talking about you know even Ayata margin in good time is between three to five percent, right? Average. Exactly. Yeah. So this is very very low. It's a very uh, low ROI industry. So. One has to be very, very careful in whatever they do to, to make sure to succeed. So the only exception is, again, Ethiopian Airlines, because it's 100% government owned, but very successful uh, throughout its history and growing. Now, you know, it is competing with the mega carriers of the world, because look at our root structure. We are all the way from Japan, Korea, China. Southeast Asia, all Middle East, Africa, Europe, uh, North America, and uh, uh, down to Argentina. So we're we are a global carrier,
0: everywhere, pretty well. Yeah,
1: yeah, everywhere. So let's ask why Ethiopian Airlines succeeded being a uh, government-owned airline, while the other government-owned airlines failed. One reason, mainly, I would I would give credit to the Ethiopian government not only to the current uh, Ethiopian government, but to the past successive governments, right starting from the emperor. They all remained disciplined and despite their 100% ownership, they allowed professionals to run the airline. So that unique corporate governance allowed Ethiopian allies to, to, to succeed, of course. Other factors also, other success factors included, but this is the main one. So while the other African governments uh, always uh, are tempted to interfere, to put uh, political appointees there, and, uh, you know, uh, so it didn't work. For instance, a good example is uh, South African Airways. It used to be very good airline, John, uh, you know, it, uh, a very good product, high premium product and very good mm-hmm. airline. But now it's history. I think it's they are trying to uh, revive it. So if you ask me professionally, I would say ownership is a factor, but it's not a decisive, uh, decisive factor in success because you can be government owned but if the corporate uh, governance uh, is well defined and identified especially the relationship between the board and the management it, it, it can work it worked uh, for Ethiopian allies because all you have to do is you have to separate ownership and management the owners should not be managers I think even in uh, private setup, the owners are not managers. As you know, uh, the, in the global airline business, owners are stock uh, shareholders. I mean, anyone who has uh, both share in the airline. Uh, but the managers are hired to uh, manage the airline. So as long as ownership and management is clearly separated uh, with clearly defined distinct roles and responsibilities, it can work. And
0: we've seen uh, more widely over quite a number of decades now towards the efforts to make progress within Africa. Uh, people in the industry know about uh, something called the Yamasukru decision, which was back in 1999 when all African countries, well, 44 countries, uh, agreed they would liberalize African aviation to, to actually make progress. So that was ratified in 2002. It was uh, still not there by 2018 when the single African air transport market, SATAM, was launched to fully implement this earlier Yamasuku decision. More countries joined. You know, There was efforts to make more progress, but we still haven't seen it. And we see other airlines eating the African pie, you could say. I mean, it, good for them, good for travelers, airlines such as the Gulf carriers. But do you hold out hope that uh, lessons can be learned from this lack of progress and countries can come together? Because Ethiopian gives a shiny example of what could be done in many more places. South African Airlines, as you pointed, an airline historically globally renowned that's fallen largely by the wayside. Do you feel hopeful that that, uh, we can point back in the right direction?
1: yes i'm hopeful well i'm disappointed by uh, yd as uh, many of us are it has been very long time and it has not delivered the intentions and expectations although uh, you know there were some slow gradual progresses like for instance apart from the fifth freedom within africa the third and fourth freedom I mean, the bilateral negotiations have improved a little bit. Uh, So traditionally, very closed uh, countries, very closed uh, economies have shown some flexibility in uh, negotiating better bilateral uh, air service agreements for uh, carriers. But in general, I would say I would agree with anyone that it was a disappointment. Uh, It was written, I mean, signed, sealed and agreed by all. But It has never been implemented. Out of this frustration, some of us approached uh, the African Union. I remember when uh, the lady secretary general from uh, South Africa was uh, in charge in Addis. I went to her and uh, I had a meeting with her and I told her why it has not worked and uh, African aviation is not progressing, especially for African airlines, because when you see the continent, the continent is well connected with the rest of the world because of foreign carriers. Mm -hmm. But within the continent, connectivity is a a major hindrance uh, in economic activities. So I explained this to her and I told her that Uh, it's uh, African uh, airlines only have 20% of the market share, 80% of the market share is enjoyed by non-African airlines. So we need to change this. So she agreed. And uh, so she asked me, what is the solution? Okay. Uh, The solution is either we have to come up with a new mechanism, a new system to liberalize African uh, aviation, or uh, we have to change widely. And then she asked me, "Okay, when I uh, she said when she talked to government, they always point out to their airlines because the air the air national carriers are the most protective ones." So uh, she said, "Okay, can you get me four four major airlines CEOs here? I want to talk to them and I would I want to, to get their uh, opinion." So I said, "Okay." So I called uh, Ken Airways. Egypt Air, TAG Angola, SAA, uh, South African Airways, and of course ET myself. So we met uh, her uh, in her office in Addis, and uh, all of us told her, except TAG, I remember, uh, that we have to liberalize. TAG was the only exception. So she was very happy, and uh, she gave her uh, instruction to her uh, commission of uh, infrastructure and uh, transport. And then that's how SATM was started, the single African air transport market. And we're very happy. I think uh, we are in the number of, uh, I don't know, it must have reached now 40 countries uh, ratifying it. So going uh, through that process, we mentioned that one of the reasons why the YD failed and uh, didn't deliver uh, was because there were some missing instruments number one there was no competition rules number two there was no consumer protection rules number three there was no dispute resolution mechanism so we went back to afcac the african uh, civil aviation commission and we asked them to develop uh, these instruments and now Both of uh, all three of them are ready, so uh, Saturn. We have better hope and better wish for the future on Saturn because those instruments are now in place. Because if you don't have competition rules, you know some airlines will be negatively affected. Uh, So there must be competition rules, the rule of the game for airlines. And also, if you don't have uh, consumer protection regulation, then the consumer ends up uh, paying the price by some monopoly or some unfair uh, competition. Uh, And then uh, the dispute resolution, when if two airlines or countries do not agree on going forward, then there must be a dispute uh, resolution mechanism and uh, regulation in place. So now these are in place. I'm very hopeful that uh, the Saturn will be Implemented uh, in a better speed and better uh, implementation than YD. The other uh, hopeful situation is the uh, free trade area, uh, the ACFTA, the African continent free trade area. That is also uh, now ratified by almost all countries. So free movement of people, free movement of goods, that is also now um, is going to be boosting suddenly. So yeah, I, I'm very hopeful, but still, uh, uh, progress is very slow, John.
0: Understandably, and I was thinking as you as you outlined that background, of challenges, but also the progress you made when you had that meeting with the secretary and Addis that really the politicians, the leaders of Africa, owe this to this young young generation. Uh, I've spoken recently to a couple of young Africans that I know, and I said to a couple of them, is it fair to say that uh, many young Africans simply have to leave their own countries to find opportunities? And one of them replied to me, that's more than fair, And, and said to me, tell, tell to order. you know one of them who's had to leave their country to, to find an opportunity. Uh, we, we also see that there could be so much more wide economic benefit for the continent uh, if we could make these steps forward. But we still have a situation that even without the political challenges, uh, as you said, this kind of uh, vanity project approach of some countries to have their airline that many airlines are loaded with heavy taxes right from the start. So with a high tax burden, not only on fuel, but other taxes, including ticket taxes, it must provide an enormous handicap to airlines in Africa to make progress.
1: Yes, you are right, because that taxation, or heavy taxation, is the result of the attitude of the government towards aviation, because they consider aviation as a luxury, as a rich man's means of transport, then they equate it with um, alcoholic drinks, uh, alcoholic beverages, and uh, even tobacco. You know, the taxation on tobacco and alcoholic beverages is almost equal to airline. Uh, I mean, uh, air transport. So it's insane. I mean, it's uh, it's it's crazy. Why that is happening? Again, the attitude has not changed, but the attitude is also in the entire. Leadership and governance and uh, uh, democratic uh, uh, dispensation in the continent. But we have to also uh, realize that Africa is a big continent of 54 countries. So there are uh, countries who are, which have made uh, progress. Um, I think there are about 17 or 18 countries which have a growing democracy, which have, uh, you know, Senegal, Ghana. Uh, Even Nigeria, um, in terms of democratic uh, progress, elections, and so on, they are doing well. Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi, Zambia, South Africa, Botswana, and so on. So there are uh, differences among the countries. But when it comes to the aviation industry, uh, I still uh, believe that there is no right attitude. because. Aviation is the engine of economic development, especially, as you said, for the young entrepreneurs, for the young, smart, and intelligent people, and uh, enlightened by uh, the uh, information technology now, by the internet, by the augmented reality, AI, and so on. So they want to do a lot of things, and they can. But unfortunately, they don't have enabling environment in their countries. And you are right, they live to Europe and America. So the brain drain is really a serious problem, including in the aviation business. Uh, when I when we started to grow in Ethiopian Airlines and uh, when we started with 20, 25 percent growth per annum, our main challenge was uh, pilots. So although traditionally we heavily depended on uh, ethiopian uh, pilots so we had to start hiring from the global market uh at the, at the moment i mean uh, about 15 percent of our pilots uh, of ethiopian pilots are uh, foreigners from the global market so the brain drain is also a major uh, a major problem and as we said that is caused by the lack of hope lack of enabling environment uh and in, in, in the continent
0: well, I was going to ask you, because I've asked uh, other leaders in this series, You know, AI has become a, a, a watchword, digitalization is happening everywhere, and the pace of change is incredibly quick. Uh, you've already uh, answered it in part, but uh, you know, is that more broadly positive in the context of African aviation, or is it challenging, precisely because you need to have a, a good pipeline of young talent to lead the industry, but is that being fostered? enough, and how does it sit with technology? People worry about technology actually replacing people. Does it work with or against?
1: Uh, On a positive side, uh, John, uh, I think it's a good opportunity for Africa because it will enable it to leapfrog quickly to the level of the the continent doesn't have to crawl, doesn't have to go slow to reach the level of uh, technology, uh, technological uh, advancement in the developed world. So uh, the new IT technology will give it the opportunity to leapfrog. Like, for instance, look at uh, mobile money. Mobile money, Kenya is one of the leaders in the world. So uh, mobile money, it enabled Kenya to bypass even uh, the developed world because you and I in the developed world are still uh, using credit cards. But Kenya was able to pass that. So they, they don't worry about credit card anymore. They just, everyone is transacting with their mobile uh, m You know, it uh, it's a, glo- a global success story. So uh, this kind of success will come, this kind of leapfrogging, uh, jumping over, uh, will come in terms of technological advancement. So it's an opportunity for the continent. But... Uh, On the challenge side, uh, John, AI, especially particularly AI, I have my own reservation, meaning we have to be careful in uh, using AI. Otherwise, if AI is somehow uh, overpowering human beings, then we will have serious uh, repercussion. So uh, I don't believe AI should uh, overpower people. It should be under the control of people. And also... Like, for instance, you know, um, the airline business is a service business. So the human element is always needed. You, you, You know, the human touch is always needed and appreciated by the customers. So you cannot completely replace all service elements and service areas by AI.
0: Well, I had, I had a recent experience of a flight cancellation at an airport and there were elements of technology which helped me to get another flight, but I actually wanted people around me to exactly. uh, reassure me and tell me yeah, and yeah. help me through that situation.
1: Yeah, you are a human being, so you, you are nervous at that time because a flight is cancelled, so you want to be assured by someone, a human being like you, hey, John, you are okay? This is what we are going to do, and this is how we are going to reroute you on this flight, this and that that's uh assurance i can exactly. do it and as you said it did it but you were not sure whether things will be smooth or not towards let's just look
0: a little bit uh briefly at infrastructure and a little bit more widely at aircraft i mean you mentioned the lack of infrastructure when it comes to roads but just thinking as well in terms of airports air traffic control all the infrastructure that airlines need to operate and to do so safely and and Africa, or let's be more precise, parts of Africa have suffered historically in terms of safety. Many parts of the continent are at the highest level of safety. But who is going to make that investment in infrastructure? And again, are we going to face government problems where people want to build palaces rather than efficient pieces of infrastructure that actually serve the airlines and consequently serve the customers? Uh,
1: you are right, John. Uh, the infrastructure, the aviation infrastructure in Africa is... Uh way underdeveloped as compared to the rest of the world. And I don't see also way out uh, in the near future because private investment in uh, aviation infrastructure is not growing or is not Uh, We don't see that uh, many activities in that area, so we still have to depend on governments to build airports and or to modernize air traffic control system or ground services at the airport. But as it is today, much to be desired. Let's just make a comparison. A small country in Europe, Switzerland, with 9 million uh, population, around 9 million population, has two international airports, Geneva and Zurich. A much larger population country, Uganda, uh, close to 48 uh, million population has only one small airport in Tebe. So uh, we have a long way to go, but um, again, it's a matter of priority. I would say uh, instead of uh, building uh, 1,000 kilometer uh, of road to connect between countries in Africa, it is much cheaper and much more effective to build 3 kilometers of runway which is an airport but it has to be uh, viewed that way it is cheaper it's more efficient to build airports and uh, runways than even uh, train and and it's uh, going forward it's also uh, it will be more sustainable in terms of sustainability because you waste a lot of uh, carbon a lot of uh, energy to build roads and uh, railroads although trains are now electric trains are uh, uh, sustainable and uh, less carbon emission but to build an airport as compared to this infrastructure is much cheaper much more sustainable and more efficient so i think uh, we need uh, a paradigm shift in in uh, especially in the way governments uh, look at uh, a vision and uh, and it's also, I take it up on us, up on uh, the airlines, the professionals to, you know, lobby, to educate governments, to give them the practice again and again. So we have to continue.
0: Absolutely. And back on the, the aircraft side, to all do you mentioned what you reflected on Ethiopian? You talked about bringing in the 787, the Airbus A350. I, I think we're in a, an exciting era, aren't we, in terms of new aircraft availability that are really very appropriate to African development, not only aircraft like those two, which are relatively large and perform ultra-long-haul missions, but now uh, we have narrow-body, ultra-long-range aircraft like the new Airbus A321, LR, XLR, and at a regional level, we're seeing an increase in average size of regional aircraft and longer range aircraft like the Airbus A220 or the Embraer E2 series. Do you think yourself that 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 is a valid observation? These are better aircraft in terms of what Africa needs for the future?
1: Yes, especially, um, as I said, let's let's look at uh, the continent's uh, aviation industry. As I said before, the intercontinental coverage is almost, okay, acceptable. I mean, Uh uh, Africa is well connected with Europe, uh, with uh, United States, with uh, Asia, and so on. And now, you know, the new trend, uh, the new emerging trend is direct connection between the United States and uh, Africa, especially West Africa. And uh, just for your information, Delta is the largest carrier, flying to five African destinations direct from the United States. So, the, the intercontinental is okay, acceptable, well covered, well connected. The real problem is within the continent. So within the continent, the narrow body, the new uh, narrow body and the new regional airplanes, more efficient airplanes are required for the continent. Let me share uh, my my vision. You know, the center of Africa is Equ- uh, Central African Republic a country which has been suffering uh, civil war and uh, very bad challenges. So Bangui, uh, Central African Republic, is the center. So in Bangui, if you establish an airline in Bangui or around that area, uh, even in Cameroon, you can connect Algiers with 737, the farthest north point, northern point of the continent, and uh, Cape Town, the farthest south point, and then Dakar, the farthest west, and Djibouti, the farthest east. And all of these are covered either by the s 320 neo or the 737 MAX, including the A320, uh, the Airbus, uh, the uh, former uh, Bombardier C-Series airplane, now A220 and uh, A320. So there is a huge opportunity and potential for a startup airline airline to use this fuel efficient, modern uh, narrow body airplanes. And at the same time, they also contribute to sustainability because these airplanes save uh, 15 to 20% uh, fuel and uh, carbon emissions. So yeah, but unfortunately, uh, John, as we speak today, production is lagging behind. Uh, that's a challenge isn't
0: it getting places on the production line
1: yeah production line is yeah line uh, is uh, lagging behind demand so every airline wants an airplane there is huge demand but uh, the manufacturers are not able to meet the demand and that is caused by the uh, backlog in uh, during the covid and also you know the supply chain uh, system or the ecosystem of the aircraft manufacturing programs involve a lot of small uh, suppliers. So during COVID, all of them have closed and uh, laid off their employees. So it was starting from ground zero uh, after COVID and the demand unexpectedly grew very, very fast than uh, usually expected. So yes, supply chain is a very, very uh, strong challenge right now. It was on uh, airframe and uh, engines.
0: Absolutely. Just switching on to a a, a couple of uh, different areas uh, uh, toward the sustainability, which, you know, has been talked about all the time now in in the airline world. And obviously, I'm sitting here in in Europe and uh, we're seeing situations of airport capacity being cut back and curfews brought in and politicians wanting to have less low fares available. I just wonder, particularly talking to you, as I said, with this African perspective on aviation, if we're looking at an incredible shift in the world, you're living in the USA, but uh, you are an African, and I think we see uh, concern about sustainability and maybe uh, changes in the US aviation market. Do you think we might be reaching a kind of a, a, a dichotomy between, say, the US and Europe and the rest of the world where? let's be really extreme, Europe could shut down aviation completely because of worries about the environment, while the rest of the world is using it as an economic tool and continuing. We're seeing massive aircraft orders coming in from places like Saudi Arabia, India, China. We should be seeing more developed in Africa. How do you see that playing out? Because it's a challenge. We have to address it from a point of view of the industry's contribution to the problem. But we can't just say, well, we don't have aviation anymore.
1: Yes, I think uh, um, Europe is also going too too far. I mean, in uh, imposing some of the restrictions that we saw, so I don't think that's the right uh, way to go. Because we have to address the environment issue, we have to address sustainability. It is the responsibility and duty of this generation, especially we owe to the next generation. And uh, that is a right priority, a top priority in everyone's mind. But at the same time, production is also needed. Uh, so, you know, as I always say at, uh, in my previous uh, job at Interpreting uh I have two eyes. So uh, I follow double visioning, meaning one eye has to be squarely focused on today and the other eye has to be squarely focused on tomorrow. So... Uh, sustainability is for today and tomorrow, but uh, we have to uh, live also today, we have to exist, production has to continue, so you cannot, I mean uh, shut off uh, production today and uh, completely focus for tomorrow. uh, So the right balance, the right balance is needed. On the other hand, those countries or those uh, people who believe that, oh, production we have to grow this and that I think we have to sit together, discuss, and find the right formula, the right mix between production and sustainability. Uh, otherwise, the way Europe is going also is not sustainable by itself because, OK, you can uh, shut off uh, short haul um, travel in, in Europe because the trains can uh, substitute it. And they are doing uh, so, so comfortable to travel by train from a point A to point B. In Europe, I've done it several times and I always prefer, by the way, uh, the, the within Europe, but long haul has to continue. There is no other uh, means of transport to to replace that. So I would say balancing, pause. And uh, when it comes to Africa, you know, um, uh, we have to be realistic there and we have to be fair also for uh, for the continent, John, because what's the contribution of carbon uh, in Africa? I mean, it's very, very low as compared to uh, the developed world. So, You can say Africa is being affected uh, for no fault of its own, I mean, for not much contribution. So uh, we should not expect Africa to be at the the level of uh, the industrial world in terms of sustainability. But we have to address that. So what I mean is Africa needs support from the developed world because it cannot do it uh, on its own. It needs financial support. It needs technological support because if airlines in, uh, in uh, Africa want to buy new airplanes because are, uh, their contribution to sustainability is good, 50, 20, 15 to 20 percent carbon reduction, where else are they going to get the money, the capital, access to capital? So these kind of issues need to be addressed collectively. So I think environment uh, issues are collective. Every human being in the planet is concerned and uh, is responsible. So it cannot be done in isolation. Europe cannot do uh, meaningful uh sustainability on its own it needs China it needs us it needs Africa Asia and so on so it's a collective responsibility
0: oh absolutely as, as you said the uh the old world so to speak of uh us and Europe uh many African countries could point the finger and say well you caused the problem over centuries yeah, exactly. you know we're trying to catch up in economic life of our citizens we can't uh, take on all the problems you created ourselves and just be yeah. told to hold back. Yeah. Let's yeah. just move on a bit more widely to probably one of the closing questions to Aldi, looking at, into your crystal ball again at a geopolitical level. Uh, we've talked about a lot of instability, a lot of shocks. Do you think we're going to see a world order that is continuing to change? Will we, for example, see more realignment of Africa with, for example, the BRIC countries? So this grouping, this economic grouping looking south and east is... Strengthening, uh, it seems to me, as someone in the old world, it's inevitable. You know, if we look through centuries, we see ups and downs and different developments of countries and continents. Is that going to happen in, in an era where Africa becomes much more preeminent and, and the dynamic shift?
1: Yes, uh, Africa will get more provenance, more importance, and uh, The West will also focus now on Africa because uh, there there seems to be alternative now for Africa. And uh, in the last couple of decades, we've seen that the Chinese solution for Africa, especially in terms of infrastructure building, has worked and uh, it has been a very good solution for many African countries uh, in terms of building roads railroads, uh, or ports, airports, bridges, and so on. Both the technology is uh, cost-effective and also the way it is packaged by the Chinese government. I remember when I built the cargo terminal in Ethiopian Airlines and the airport, we usually send RFP to all uh, globally. And uh, the Chinese construction companies come with their key type of uh, project. Like they come with the construction, with the design and also financing because the China Exim Bank is always available for them. So they already bring it to the customer, package it. On the other hand, the West is not organized in that manner. In fact, uh, the banks are independent, private, so they can uh, evaluate projects on their own. Due diligence and so on. So, they can say, no, this is not uh, the right risk for us to take. So, uh, the construction companies lose the business to the Chinese. So, that has been going on. But in terms of the BRICS, in terms of uh, a complete shifting, I'm not that hopeful. And because the BRICS has been there, John, for many years now, right?
0: That's true
1: yeah, but what has what has achieved so far? Not much, mm-hmm. not much as expected or not much as uh, because you know the center of economic uh, growth and capital and consumer market is still in Europe and America. So the African countries, no matter how they view it, no matter how they want to change, the reality will always pull them to A. Uh, the capital market to access capital, B, the consumer market, the market which has a disposable income. Europe and uh, uh, North America put together is a billion consumer market with high disposable income. So, a billion population with high disposable income. So, this con- will continue to remain as a center of gravity in terms of uh, economic power. And therefore, The African countries will continue to depend, but I see uh, a lot of efforts towards BRICS, towards uh, China and so on. I am not uh, undermining the influence of China in Africa. And also they have done a very good job in terms of uh, infrastructure building, much needed uh, critical infrastructure building. And uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is also very good. but uh, still, you know, the most powerful currency, the dollar, is still uh, the medium of exchange, a reserve currency, and so on. So uh, reality is not uh, pointing towards the uh, efforts being done.
0: Well, Taori, that's probably a good point to draw our conversation for this time to, to a close. I, I certainly feel very inspired by what you've had to say. I've learned more. Uh, about Africa. I see a lot of positive things there for the future with Ethiopian being the, the model for what can be, can be done. So, to aldi Gabri Mariam, Senior
1: Strategic Advisor, many thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me and I enjoyed uh, our chat, our discussion. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening and I hope we've provided some valuable insights into our future
0: skies viewed through African eyes. I'll be back soon with our next Our Future Skies episode in partnership with AIG. But for now, for me, John Strickland, goodbye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast series are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of American International Group Inc. or its subsidiaries or affiliates, AIG. Any content provided by our speakers are of their opinion. And are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. AIG makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness or validity of any information provided during this podcast series and will not be liable for any errors, omissions or delays in this information or any losses, injuries or damages arising from its use.